millennials or these Gen Yers or whatnot that are coming up, they live online. So mm-hmm. there's going to be a rec- there's going to be a record of that somewhere forever, right? Oh, that's terrifying, and that's terrifying. It's going to be less terrifying to the middle schooler today, where every the entire population has lived online and written things and taken pictures, and it's all online. And so there is going to be a little bit of a roll your eyes, been there, done that. Only because even if you think back now, our parents, especially my and Lenya's end of Gen X, right? The 60s, born in the 60s, end of Gen X, where we were like told, you know, if you get pregnant, you know, your life is ruined. If you get where now, that's just not the conversation. I mean, the stigma... You know, one, we do, well, at least in most states, we still have abortion. But the other idea is that we have better birth control. We have the after pill, but we also have taken away some of the stigma out of adopting in the sense that, you know, somebody who gets pregnant in high school, life does not have to end. Oh, well, there's also teen mom on TV. Yeah, exactly. So we destigmatized a lot of that. And the same thing with sort of like, if you get caught smoking weed, you know, back, if you get caught smoking weed, it's the gateway drug to everything and you will die and it'll be horrible. And like now weed's legalized. So the idea is too, we're looking and saying that's going to live in your personal record forever. Well, I remember my mother saying that about all sorts of random shit. Like you have to get in the best college you can. Better not do that. It's going to be forever following you around. And I thought there was some vanilla folder that like right. people pass from high school to college to your job and it just forever, it was just following me around. Then I discovered I could get a license suspended in one state and, and get a, just get another one in another state, which is what I did when I had my license suspended in New Jersey when I was 18 or 19. And then I just, I was in college in Pennsylvania. So I was like, hey, ho, let me get my Pennsylvania driver's license because states didn't talk to each other back then. So yeah, like life is, life is, is they're going to grow. They're going to be easier with it than we are. And in a way, I'm hoping it becomes more freeing. Like, yeah, that was my growth spurt. Like I went through this transphobic phase at 14 as part of this. And now six years later, I discovered how that was from my own insecurity. I discovered that was from my own self-hatred and my own fear. And I've grown and let me be a lesson to everybody. Everybody move forward into loving everybody. Like that actually can all be switched to positive messaging Mm -hmm. in allowing teenagers to be teenagers and, and, and move on. I mean, I'm just hopeful. So a little bit more about me to a point. I, I was raised Catholic. And so growing up in Los Angeles, go to Catholic schools. And it's actually kind of funny because my wife is from the Pacific Northwest and from the Portland area and doesn't want to send our baby to Catholic school because that's where all the, the, here we go again, the rich white kids go. And that's not who we went to school with. That's not how it worked down here. But anyway, I, I was going to school. Well, it's like, remember, isn't Catholic schools in LA where all the non-Catholic white people send their kids to schools when they don't live in a good enough area and they can't really, afford, you know, Westlake? Part of it is that. And it's also where all, all the Latinos used to send their kids who they went to, to what church you went to. That's where you just right. go to school. 
So, and then it was easy for the moms and dads because you just had to buy uniforms and didn't have to worry about, you know, a, a new outfit every day. Right. But so I'm at Catholic school and this kind of hit a little bit close to home, Alex and, and Lenya, with your conversation. I think you were having, I don't know if the last episode two episodes ago, like who's teaching our kids, you know, these social studies and these societal interactions and whatnot. And I distinctly remember, I, I won't mention her name and I, I apologize to her now, many, many years later, but at the time, going to a Catholic school, abortion is just the worst possible thing that anyone could ever do to anyone at any given point in time, right? We believe that conception starts, excuse me, life starts at conception and yeah. So, but there was one voice, one woman, one girl, she was a girl. She, I don't think she was even 13 yet. One girl who said, no, it's a choice. We have to decide. And she was strong. Wow. And, and we're like, can you just stop, which we're moving on to the next subject. You're just holding us back at this point. Like just trying to have a conversation with the teacher. This, this isn't getting anywhere. And she would not back down. She would not back down. She would not. Ooh, legend. And oh my God. And I remember telling this story to, to my wife. I was telling her, she's like, oh my God, like, how did you guys react? I go, we were just pissed because we wanted to move on. Like we we're, you know, Got it. Abortion is bad. Let's move on. You know, and and no, she wouldn't let it go. And it took tremendous amount of strength for this 12 to 13 year old, because I remember I it was seventh or eighth grade, or 13 or 14 year old, to just put up with our teacher and say, no, 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 I don't, I don't believe in that. And in some ways, like I can just picture my daughter doing that. It freaks me out. <laughs> I think that's another reason why I kind of listen to you ladies, because it's just to take the, take the woman's perspective onto something. Cause I could just picture my daughter sounding a lot like the both of you. And it's just gonna be like, okay, you can't be the grumpy old man in the corner that doesn't understand what the heck is going on. Cause you're not on Insta. You're not on Facebook. You're not on TikTok. I just, my life is not that. When I grow up, I want to be you and not be on any of it. So I, I appreciate your strength, but I also really appreciate that you're aware to relate how I love it. So you have to go on with your old grumpy selves. But I also love that you're trying to find the balance. Go for it. <laughs> I'm going to post this right now. But I do understand Alex's view about balance, right? You know, like I have days where I don't look at it at all. But I love it, especially I, I love now that people are feeling more free to say what they want to say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, even if it is going to get them into TikTok jail or Instagram jail, I mean, I'm, I, I'm in and out of it now and I just don't care. I'm just going to say it. I love it when people talk to me about it. Like Eric was talking to me something about writer Twitter and I was like, oh my God, I didn't know there was writer Twitter and there's black Twitter and then there's this Twitter. I was like, I still don't know. So I kind of like, there is this love, but I have to say, like, right now, my Insta feed is autumn trees. Like, I am <laughs> East Coast trees. Like, all I want to see is orange and maybe a witch's hat. No. And I'm, I like, I look at it because I sit out here in LA brownness and I'm like, I want autumn. We, we have autumn outside in our neighborhood for about two yes. weeks. Yeah, two weeks. it was pretty. It's pretty for like two weeks. And yeah. then it just, we go from like these yellows and oranges, and then from or brown. Yeah, yeah. it's just, no, it's, it's hard. But no, yeah, I mean, yeah. I... Well, I'm thinking about going back to a question. So do you think one way, though, that we, we can really try to honor everyone, though, is to end up being more specific? Like, why can't Lenya just say 
and we've, Lenya, you and I talked about this, is that you should really say, no, I'm Afro-Latina. Like I am, and this is who I am. And you ha- I look one way, I act, I might have more culture. Perceptually, you might perceive me to have more in one culture than another, but don't presume to know this is who I am. And that we can break down a lot of these blocks because I agree with you when you talk about how we analyze voting blocks. And here's what's interesting, right? Before computers, I would say that's the best we can do, right? We're stuck with this. We have to keep things simple. There's, there's, there's three, there's what? There was when you were growing up in the seventies, there was like white, yellow, red, brown, or black, you know, like nobody dealt with ethnicity at all. We were only on a a color system. And right. and like now, and even, brown is, even brown is somewhat debatable because brown technically is a combination of red and yes. white. Yeah. Or actually, and, can when I you really consider brown and, and black and brown. Right. But when you really think about Asians coming through like over from like yeah. Russia, like through Canada, through, yeah. through here, one might argue that we're a mixture of yellow, red. That's what I mean, where this gets right. so complicated so fast. Mm-hmm. And if everybody then just said, I'm going to just go by my ethnicity and we're going to really start to wipe out the concept of race, because really eth- ethnicity has morphed into race. Right? People say, like, I'm not white. And then they say, I'm Persian. Right. It's it's. And so the idea is, okay, like that's an ethnicity that has a diaspora around many countries, very similar to like I'm Armenian. People might have been in Armenia, but they might also have grown up in Iran. And then you have obviously the Jewish diaspora, which is a culture because they were ghettoized in every single country they lived in. And so treated and treated completely differently. Mm -hmm. So somebody might say I'm Jewish culturally. So why don't we just become a cultural identity country and start to actually, and while we're making reparations, but move in that direction to, to try to be, and I don't mean a colorblind post-race society. I just mean a very culturally aware and sensitive post-race society, because now that slavery in America is over and Please, I'm not saying that there isn't sex slavery. I'm not saying that there isn't human trafficking, but I'm saying that we aren't hauling people in chains over from African countries over here. I'm saying everybody can identify with a cultural identity one way or another. And now I'm also now I'm like, there's another red flag saying, oh, but what about adopted people? So there's always going to be somebody that we're leaving out, which sucks. But generally... Wouldn't that move us in the right direction where nobody takes anyone for granted? Because that that could be a better world. People will still find a way to treat someone from a different culture or ethnicity differently because of their culture or ethnicity. Oh, absolutely. But let's get past. But like it's solving one problem. But human nature, we're clannish. I mean, I'm sorry. We are clannish people. And so the mm-hmm. idea is, can we at least break down this these problems that have been haunting us for hundreds of years and embrace new ones. So with right. this type like, of that, let's, you know, let's, be, let's destroy racism, but embrace culturalism. Yeah. Yes. Well, there's <laughs> always going to be something because even if you think about how we draw the lines in this country, right? So right now we have great polarization 
there's race. We have a lot of shit going on right now. But let's say we solved we solved the race issue. Not that there isn't still racism, but it's I mean, culturalism. And we, we did sort that of like, that. There's still going to be an urban versus suburban yeah. versus rural versus agriculture polarization. Yep. There will still be religion, religious polarization. There will yep. still be people who've lived here longer than people who just moved here. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're still going to have all that. I'm just looking to solve one piece of the problem when it's it comes to this, this little, little race thing. And it's not little, it's huge. <laughs> so my idea is if we could fix, fix, if we can move towards fixing one idea, then would it be easy for us to move and fix other ideas? Because where we get stuck, and I noticed this in organizations, and, and JC, you work in business, you might have similar experiences. People who try to say, oh, I'm going to fix it all at one time, like often like that can work, but it's very hard to make work. But you also don't want to completely just keep putting patches on things because then we have things like the tax code, you know, that that don't work at all either. So isn't there a place in the middle where we say we're going to isolate this one thing and try to make inroads there? We're going to throw our energy in there. We're going to take what we learn and then apply it to the next thing and hopefully get to the place where we can revolutionize some thought. I mean, that's, it just feels like a more optimistic way to do things because now I just live in frustration a lot. And at least for me, and this is where I start to feel on the other side of 50 is that I'm feeling a little like tired and I'd rather become a recluse with my friends than like, actively be in the streets and make change like i am i'm a little bit tired because i want optimism in my last 40 years i hear you there's there's a lot there. i i hear you i i think to your point you know we, we had we had the four colors of the sphere that some everyone is some combination thereof and it feels like we've evolved so much so quickly in some ways about being open and having this conversation about, about race and ethnicity. And, and we've been able to strip some of the stigma off of those conversations. But as we do that, you begin to delve deeper and deeper and deeper into real history. And when you do that, it gets harder and harder and harder to accept. Yeah. And one of the things, I had a, a friend of mine, a, a very local friend of mine, there's a, an HBO documentary called Exterminate the Brutes. And it is basically about the structural, organizational, and I'll have to look it up, but it's a structural, organizational destruction of how to keep people enslaved mm-hmm. and how to keep indigenous people, black people in, in colonization, the whole nine. And, you know, he's, oh, I just finished watching that. I'm like, oh, yeah. And I've got War and Peace for you if you really want some light reading to follow that up with. Because it's a lot to take in. When you begin to figure out that your religion was systematically designing ways of how to keep people in line. Yeah. Through enslavement and through sickness and through force. It just well, and through fear. Fear, it just, just all of it, all of it. And then you think about how these Southern American countries are so, I don't want to say blindly, but 
blindly Catholic and blindly mm-hmm. supportive of, you know, our, our, our Pope is from Argentina, right? And it's just, you know, when the Pope comes, it's, it's, it's 150,000. How many people can you possibly fit in a stadium? It's, 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 it's devout. It's big. And to hear that story, I think that the more you try to delve into that, and I think that's also, God, it's, it's so positive. It's so positive. But the negative to that is also that like you begin peeling stuff. And when you begin peeling, like you're peeling an onion, you know, the flavor is going to be great at the end, but to get, you're, you're going to do a lot. There's going to be some crying. There's going to be some tears. There's going to be some discomfort. You might be cutting your hands a little bit. You know what I mean? It's going to be great when you saute it, but oh, oh man, the process of getting there is, is not easy. But for isn't us. that true? Because isn't in the end of this, we're all dealing. I mean, now it's getting very philosophical because in the end, all of this goes back to fear of death. I mean, now I just sound like Woody Allen, oh, wow. but okay. I mean, it's all fear of death, right? I mean, religion yeah. is that they didn't understand death. And so they made yeah. up all this stuff. People right. don't know what to do with their existential crisis of life. Right. And so they can't sit with themselves because it's fucking scary because our heads are dark places to be. And then right. so we find we anesthetize ourselves and whether that's through religion or through Etsy or through Amazon or through alcohol, like alcohol or drugs or honestly just reading mystery to mystery or whatever, wherever you hide from your psyche, it's kind of called the human condition. And we're tribal. Our DNA is xenophobic and we need to evolve past all of this. I mean, what you're really, GC, I think you're right. I mean, like we're at, we, we've killed, we're, we're, we've almost killed the planet. And now we sort of have, we have to look at us. I mean, like, I do think the world is telling us something with everything that we're in right now. And it's an opportunity we're all missing. Like, all I know is that work, I'm working longer hours. Oh, yeah. Because it's about instead of looking about how the pandemic slowed us down and how we should be slower and how our population has allowed us that there's more than enough people to do everything we need to do. It's about getting people into the right jobs and places and training and how we think about college and what we think about that. There's so much more to know. Right. Because this is what kills me about heights. We still have the same shaped first 18 years of school, except that there's so much more a student needs to know than when we all graduated, because we do have multiculturalism. We are thinking about learning history from a 360 degree, not just from the winner's point of view. We have to do more reading, more reading of literature. We have to understand how computers work, how tech works. There's more that schools have to take on because parents are working. And yet still, kids are going to school nine to two with summers off and they think they're going to, and it's absurd. And so even thinking about that, like these are big questions and we need to sort of face it all. And I thought the pandemic was this amazing moment. Yeah, I know. Yep. But I thought with the, between the California fires, the hurricanes, the okay. world stopping. Okay. And seeing the great resilience of humans, actually, like what kind of happened. And then the George Floyd murder and to see like what happened after that and how the world kind of woke up and rallied around that issue saying we have all the, you know, it's not just the United States, it's everywhere. There was this collective moment. 
And now, even though there's these, now we're back to band-aids. And that's what makes me sad. We don't It's not that we're not trying to move forward, but we're trying to move forward with band-aids. We're like the way we've been doing it. So I, 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 I see your struggle and, and I understand it and I hear you and, and I, and I, yeah, there was, there, 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 there may have been this moment in time in which we could have been there, but like anything, I don't say like anything, anything's the wrong word to use, but as the pandemic begins to lift, as life begins to kind of, I guess, air quotes, I use a lot of air quotes, get back to normal. We begin to figure out, okay, well, Lenya, to your point, what's, what's Biden doing? We get to the point where, okay, we've got to, we've got a special election that we're going to take care of here in California. All right. How do we, how do we have this conversation about race and how do we have this conversation about person X and how do we have this conversation about the involvement of culture when we are voting against, or does it say more about it when we are voting against a black man, conservative black man, pro-Trump conservative black man. So this hallelujah, nobody doesn't say more that we've gotten to the point that we could sit there and discount his beliefs and say, look, not discount. That's the wrong word to use my apologies, but more we could say, no, we don't believe in that. We're moving on to something else. And even though you're black, that's okay. But so, does the vessel that the fact that he was black, did that make it any easier or any harder to accept? I see that as progress. Jason, I see that as progress that we didn't I even look at his race. We just Rick. looked at his policy and said, nope, we, this is not for us. I see that as progress because, right. you know, it, I didn't even, you know what? I didn't even think about him as being black for a while there. Like, I mean, he was black and I knew that, you know, I mean, because people were talking about it and you and I talked about it, but like, that wasn't the thing. The thing for me was like, I'm just not, I'm not having it. I'm not going to be embarrassed for my whole race putting this guy up. <laughs> you know what I'm, I'm, not it. I'm not having it. But let's talk about, let's talk about the fact that we had this special election. We are, we have now our, our governor has decided that the fact that we chose him means that he has a mandate now to go and do all the things that he's been doing. And there are a lot of people who are thinking that California is becoming a haven that th- that we are be- we are we are what everywhere in this country should be and wants to be for some people for some people I was for, some say, people. For, for some people for some people for the liberals and and you know like he has really doubled down that I'm going to make California this type of place and it's interesting because I, I see a lot of I see a lot of liberal black um, people on on TikTok and Instagram being like, wow, wow, you know, what did, what's happening now? Are we, are we turning California, like is California going to leave this union because there's just no way we're going to be able to continue as a, as a state with these types of, with, with, with this movement that we're going in. I, I don't know how to feel like I, I'm kind of, I'm happy that we're here. This is, I think part of, part of the reason why our numbers are low, part of the reason why, you know, we're, we're doing better with so many, so many things is because we, as a people, California people, black, white, whatever, as the people decided to, that we were going to back this person who was going to do this for us. But I'm also kind of nervous because it's going to force more people to leave the state. 
it's going and which then will force, you know, all those, the problems that come with, with Less that. Less yeah, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, you know, and, I'm just nervous. I'm and, just nervous. And Lenya, more often than not, it's not poor people living in the state. No, it's rich people living it's, in the state. Or, or middle class who feel they should be doing better leaving the state. Probably more no. of that than rich. Yeah, you're right. So, so to your point, interesting points about California, because I know we look at it as a, um, as a liberal Mecca, right? Yeah. But we're not. The, like, the minority speaker of the house is from California. Yes. McCarthy's from California. Yeah, from Bakersfield, I know. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't really think of California as liberal at all. Like the, our criminal, and I never, I have to say, other than moving here in 1991 when I was in, first walking around San Francisco, generally, like as soon as the, the criminal laws here are more, and the prosecutors here are way more conservative, our industrial prison com- complex is way yep. more conservative than other places. Our healthcare is not as good as Minnesota, you know, so the very place where, you know, we have so much going on here that we have a blue coast, but we are a red state. It's the populous blue coast. If 2000 taught us anything is that there's an electoral college. Yeah. Because I don't think any of us really knew what that was until 2000. But besides that, because of that, people don't realize that more Republic, that more people in the state voted for Trump than any other state in the union. Right. We actually had over 6 million votes for Donald Trump in this state, which is by far the biggest number in the union. Okay. Yeah. Bigger than Texas, bigger than Florida, bigger than all these red places, red strongholds. Okay. Although Florida did vote for Obama twice, which was interesting. But anyway, when we talk about California, we think about the fact that again, it does have red elements to it. And that's the interesting part. And that's the interesting dynamic that I think we live through this here because you remember our AG, which is our old AG, excuse me, who's the current vice president was very tough on crime. Very, 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 very tough on crime. Yeah, I'm not and a fan. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? So what you have is you have a lot of one percenters in this state. You have a lot of 12 percenters in this state. And I say 12 percenters, uh, anyone making more than half a million dollars. You have a lot of, you know, people making six-figure salaries and six-figure numbers, but but some that can't afford even homes in, yeah, communities, yeah. in, certain, in, in many communities. And then, so we get into another conversation about gentrification, which Alex, I, I'll, I'll let you there. Cause what's funny about that is actually I used to, I grew up in, in your kind of your neighborhood. I, my, my grandparents had a place on 50th and a Figueroa Avenue. Oh, okay. 50th. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I used to, when I lived in Mount Washington, I used to live right by 50th and Fig. Yeah. 50th and Fig. And then I had an out living over on Marmion and, yep. and Fig. So, okay. I, I know that whole area and everything that's happened in that area. And it's, ooh, <laughs> this is different. You know, but you um, can say it. The white people are coming in. But again, but, but where do, forget about the white people, but where do people go if you're trying to buy a home in LA? Oh, yeah. But that's the same. I mean, that's in Everywhere any city, down. right? I mean, you move yeah. into the poorer neighborhoods and you look at New York. Yeah, well, look at San Francisco. I mean, it's it's the same everywhere. But of course, like, I feel bad. I mean, I just, even sitting in Atwater Village now, 
which was gentrified a little bit before me, but I'm certainly coming into the block as a, as new blood because it's an old block. The the <laughs> amount of wheelchairs and ramps in my neighborhood is crazy. So every time, I mean, it's horrible. Every time the house goes for so, I'm like, oh, somebody died. But it's, it's, but so, but I'm very, I'm, I'm aware, like, you know, but even living in, in Mount Washington, Glassell Park, you know, I was really aware, like when I was annoyed by some, like, july 4th it was really scary people shooting guns a lot of fireworks and i wanted to call all the police and say it's a fucking fire hazard let alone a stray bullet is gonna come come down and kill me but you know what i i didn't i i i i wrapped my heart you know i left my house went to eric's house we had two separate houses back then we lived apart and i would go to his house in glassell park and we would like hose down his roof because there would always the house would burn down every July 4th. Somebody's house would burn down. But, you know, and it's it's because it the culture, the Latino culture is fireworks in the backyard. If you've got a gun, you fire that. I get it. It's rural. It's still rural. But now Glassell Park is pretty compact now. There's a lot more houses, but still people are living that way. And I'm like, you know what? We got to suck it up. We moved here like we moved here just suck it up and we sucked it up you know what i mean like it is and i was like but part of the reason why i moved i'll be honest is because i was tired of waiting for my house to burn down you know it was just people throwing cigarette stuff like out on the grasses i was like i'm i'm people are too careless and i'm not making that was cultural i just was like i'm tired of kind of living in fear of a fire and i moved into a denser neighborhood Can we just go back to the fact that our governor, though, through all of this, we're saying that, yes, we're like, you know, it's a blue coastline or whatever. But our governor is Democrat and he felt the need. I mean, I don't know. if I mean, you guys have been watching the news every day. There's a new mandate that he's come out with that seems very, very positive, very liberal. And, you know, I I don't I don't know how to feel because I'm, I'm I'm at, at one point I'm like I'm kind of excited, but then I'm at the other point I'm like I'm nervous about where California is going. If the recall proved something, for lack of better words, was that we were comfortable enough, whether that was because many of us had the opportunity to work from home, whether that was because. We took into consideration that we didn't mind wearing a mask outside and that didn't bother us. Whether it was because our political leaning, I mean, sometimes you're just going to do, I mean, you've got two choices, you know, it's, 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 it's red or red or blue. Pick yep. one, right. So there's no green to speak of. There's no yellow to speak of, which I think would be amazing. I mean, Germany's got a five party system that would be. Oh, please. Oh, Australia's party system is so much better than this, too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, you know, too Germany, big a country for two parties. I mean, it's yes, absurd. Agreed. It's absurd. Agreed. But, you know, besides that, we, we've got a situation in which we say, okay, well, you've got this guy who wants to do away with masks, do away with vaccines, do it, not do away, but, you know, and be less restrictive and you sit there and, and, and you go, no, I mean, I, I feel safe. I mean, we believe in science. We're also the whole of com. We're Silicon Valley. We're Hollywood. We're, and like it or not, like some of those things just kind of bleed into each other. And I think the fact that that culturally affects us, I think it makes us more aware of what we 
think science is telling us and what we, we, what we can adapt to the science. Yes, Fauci said we shouldn't wear masks to start because it wasn't a big deal. When it was a big deal, start wearing masks. Nothing wrong with that. No. Nothing wrong with evolving the message. No. Everyone goes back. Look, on March 4th, when there were four <laughs> cases, you know, you, Fauci said you don't have to wear masks. Now he's telling everyone to wear masks. Wow, this is just crazy. No one knows what they're doing. This goes back to why our discourse has always been bad, because the truth is, John Stewart made his living pointing out discrepancies in what people said because he was calling people out right. for things when really some people's messages were evolving. So I just want, and even though I love John Stewart and I was like, and I was like, truth, truth, truth. I hate those people. But the truth is, right, if we really were to sit with it, some of it was evolving. It wasn't flip-flopping. It wasn't that. It was evolving. And so we both parties use this as a weapon. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes me sad because we're never going to, because yes, we should all be nuanced. We should all give credit for growth. We're living in a world right now where we're asking people to be nuanced. We're not giving people credit for growth. And, and even though we're saying, I want my unique identity, I'm going to lump you in, into a large group. I mean, that's the world we're living in right now. And exactly. that's just not a healthy world because exactly. it's just, everybody needs to walk on eggshells. It's just not a safe, we're not living in a world where anyone feels safe at all. Yeah. I, it, I think, Lenya, back to your original point. So I lived, my, my wife and I lived in, in downtown LA. We have a loft space in, in downtown LA and we lived right next door to Skid Row. So we walk out of our building and we made a left, we'd walk right into Skid Row. If we made a right, we get some of the best sushi you'll ever have. And definitely the best ramen you'll ever have. And that was the dichotomy, right? That was, that was, that's what, those were the trade-offs. That's what you have to do. You can walk around everywhere. Um, there were many times where I was coming from the office on Friday afternoon and not get back in my car until Monday morning and have an amazing weekend walking around or taking the train. So you sit there and say, okay, well, this is what I moved into. And this is what, back to your earlier point also, Alex, this is what I moved into. But... There has to be a point of public safety. There has to be a point in which you sit there and say, yeah, you know what? I did move into this neighborhood, but it's really not safe for people to be shooting guns in the air. No, that that's, I, right. that's totally true. But one, like when Skid Row, Skid Row is a government country societal failure, right? And so sure. you should want to do something about that. Respecting that, well, I'm not for the guns shooting the guns in the air. But, you know, the fire and I'm not even really for the firecrackers, but the truth is. It's it's the, it's a neighborhood. It's the, and I'm not even saying it's cultural to a person's ethnicity. I'm saying it's cultural to the neighborhood <laughs> that every year the, the neighborhood like lights itself up like that. It doesn't matter. I don't care what the races were or who the ethnicities were, but it was something that the neighborhood did. And I was moving in and I was like, you know what? This is how this neighborhood celebrates and sure. I need to shut up. I, 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 maybe I can go make change. This is the difference, right? Maybe I can go to a community meeting and say, Hey, can we do those fireworks in a clearing where it's not going to light the neighborhood on fire? Can people not, you know, but am I going to call like, 
police officers and make it antagonistic, like somehow talk about, I don't have a right. Like I have no right to complain. That's, I guess, what I want to say. I, I can subtly make change. I can say the climate's changed. There's more, there are more people in the neighborhood. It's more dangerous, et cetera. Let's change. Same way with Skid Row, you know. And that's, and that's one of the things that we noticed was that when I first moved there, I first moved there in 2010 and I was a single guy, so it was easy to do, but it didn't feel, I didn't feel as threatened as I did when I left in 2018. And when I left in 2018, I felt a lot more threatened and not even, not even afraid for my wife, but just even just the neighborhood you know, had, had evolved in a way that was like, okay, this wasn't here before, you know, the tents got bigger. Yeah. The, they, they, they got, they, they, they weren't cleaning up in the day, you know, they, they, they had gas grills. So they would have, there would be fires and you kind of sit there and you go, I know where I'm at and I'm not going to take this away from you, but simultaneously this isn't safe either. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not going to call the cops on you per se. And I'm not going to try and create any kind of drama. But yeah. I'm going to remove myself from this situation. This also me removing myself and not doing anything about it is like saying, well, that's your problem, not mine anymore. And that's also to a point like, okay, that's what we do when we move. But at the same time, it doesn't fix the problem. Well, right. It depends what. Everything is balanced, right? So, I mean, you, you have, everybody has to do what's right for them. And you, at your age, you got married, you have a kid, you're like, no, we're removing ourselves. But hopefully somebody's there saying, well, no, like, I, I, I am going to stay. I'm going to join the neighborhood council. I'm going to get involved to try to help make the problem better, not get my way, but make the problem better. And that's, and I think that's important because sometimes, you know, I look at, you know, Silver Lake, you look and see. So Silver Lake was much more diverse than mm-hmm. it, it likely is now. And Ivanhoe, the elementary school, is one of the better elementary schools in L.A. It's like people kill to get into live in Silver Lake so they can send their kid to Ivanhoe. It's, it's all about the Ivanhoe school district. What I know is like how many people, how many people of color did they push out? What in like making that this more middle class and here I'm going to say read white, you know, it's reading as a white elementary school, like what's been lost. And that's why I wish we were having more conversations about not people moving or staying, but like, how can we all how can we all sort of come together? Because I agree with ur- with urban culture being the way it is. It's not. You're right. Like where white where where do white people go when they want to buy a house if they're a social worker? Do you know what I mean? They're going to be moving in to a depressed neighborhood, and likelihood that neighborhood's going to be brown or black. But it's not. So, but it's not, not just white people. I'm sorry, Lenny. My apologies. No, no, no. Go, go ahead. No, you. Uh, it's not just. I. I wanted to say that it's not just brown, white, black. If we start right. being culturalist, it's just going to be economics. Exactly. And so if it becomes just economics, then there, then we're not gentrifying, right? We're just, we're just exactly. thinking we can go. And maybe that, maybe, maybe your thing, Alex, is right. We we start thinking about it instead of grace. We start thinking 
you know, cultural well, sure. and economic. And then, but then, of course, obviously, poor people are going to st- still be poor, middle class are still going to be middle class. We're just still going to be rich, but we're all going to be together. Right. And then there will be other problems to solve. There'll be other gaps. I mean, so Boyle Heights, which has really been sort of, you know, at the forefront of saying, you know, don't don't move in and make this whole neighborhood white. Like we're keeping this community. And yet. You know, it's a beautiful I love Boyle Heights. And, you know, what's funny is we thought about moving there. And you know why we didn't? Because I I didn't want to dilute. I, it really was the ultimate respect thing. You know, I was like, all right, I respect it. You don't want me there. I'm not going to go. But I love, I would, I would eat all the tacos. I'm not going to voice my culture on you. I want to just enjoy living in such a wonderfully historically rich part of LA. Like I, you know what I mean? But I really was like, I don't need the anger in my life. And I don't, I, and I don't, I don't want to bring, you know, it just makes it awkward. I mean, I'm hyper aware of my race and I didn't want to be like, oh my God, I don't want to be part of your problem, you know? So. And it's it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing that you had the, uh, the, the, the forward thinking that to, to do that, because obviously economically you would have made a killing on any real estate that you would have found at Boyle Heights. But besides that, I think to Lenya's point, it's not, we live in a very diverse city. In, in my opinion, I was born and raised here. I had, I had friends of all cultures. My nephew was born and raised here, but he's more of a dancer, not a sports guy. And when I, when we go out and I see him, you know, at his little talent competitions, dance competitions, it's like, it's United Colors of Benetton, like up there. It's just, it's fun to see. Those are all his friends and it's fantastic. And it makes me all warm and fuzzy. But then they all go to college. And then when they all graduate, they all need homes. Mm-hmm. And they all need to start. And, and all of my friends who I grew up with all needed homes to start their families in. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is, and that's, and that's the thing with gentrification, like when you use the word gentrification, it just not all of us can afford the house in South Pasadena. We'd love to. And send our kids to public school. Like we'd love to, we just can't. Since the eighties moving into the cities and like living with like amongst all the culture and not in a bedroom community, right, has become really important, which is what made gentrification such such a huge, huge problem instead of a smaller problem. It was a huge problem in the sense that, you know, in like I can speak for for New York more than I can speak for L.A., but in thinking about New York, you really think about Harlem gentrifying, but you think yeah. about Hell's Kitchen, you might have heard of Hell's mm-hmm. Kitchen, but or the East Village, which was uh, immigrant haven, Brooklyn, Brooklyn an immigrant Brooklyn. haven, all gentrifying, and Hoboken and Jersey City, which are two of the most diverse cities in mm-hmm. the country that just get wiped away in conversations about New York. But Jersey City and Hoboken are cities that stand on their own and are extremely diverse. Mm-hmm. But they, but all across rights, because everybody wants to live in a city, everybody wants public transportation. When in the 50s, people know, I want to live in the city. I want to go work in the city. I want to take a train and I want to live in my bedroom community. And then it was all about leaving. So part of this is all the white people, it doesn't always have to be white, but all the middle class people are like, now, no, I want to live in the city. And that means I want my schools to be good. And that means I want, and the, it's the pressure of urban and, living now. 
And Lenya, to your earlier point, we were talking about just California is, is the involvement of this state, which is going to be interesting. The involvement of this state, we've already seen where we've lost a seating, where the people who are leaving are the people that are able to leave that can either work from home or have got jobs that they can easily leave, for lack of better words, and pick up from other places. So they're usually people of means, some sort of means, and are looking to do more with what they have. When, when you look at what the median household income is in this country, and when you look at what the median price of a home is in this country, and when you look at the median price of, or excuse me, the median square footage and amenities you get out of a home in this country, and you look what you're getting out of California. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's day and night. But, you know, I had this conversation just, okay, just a couple of weeks ago with, or a month ago or so, when I was in Connecticut with my family. And they were trying to like make this, this position of me moving back to New York. And I was like, I couldn't live, I couldn't live in Connecticut where they live because it's just too rural. But if I were to move to New York and I'm, we sold this house right now and we were to move to New York, we would have a closet and, and we'd live on top of a, a whole bunch of other people. And, and I just, my, I feel like the quality of life. Whereas sure. I, might get, I might gain culture, I might have the Metropolitan Museum of Art, but I would lose space and I would lose sky and I would lose, you know, those types of things. And trying to explain that to my family, they don't understand, right? Because I guess my pri- our priorities here uh, living in California versus my priorities living in New York are completely different. Let's also be honest. It's, oct- it's October 14th and 75 degrees outside. I know I hate it. So, hate it. Oh, come on. I mean, you hate it. You hate no, it. No, I really hate it. I mean, no, I mean, I would and leave. I, like, am, I am only here because Eric is here. I am only in LA. I am in LA and not voluntarily. I will uh-huh. leave. The moment Eric can leave his job, I'm out of here. I want. I, sorry. I, I don't. I, I like, I like San Francisco. Yeah, but San Francisco is still different than New York, right? So in New York, yes. we could have an ice storm that would last yeah. for three days. And, you know, I don't, I, I, I would I still prefer that to here, but I cannot yeah. commute in this anymore. I cannot I do it. Do. I can't commute in hurricanes. I can't commute <laughs> with boots and changing shoes. I can't do that anymore. I just can't. I get uh, it. And I totally applaud it. Until, Alex, until you have to get onto the subway. I gotta say, if I can never get in a car again, I'd be so happy. (laughs) So live my life. I never get into a car. I know. You're amazing how you're able to do that. She lives her life without a car. car. I know. Lenya's rock star. In LA, people, I have learned to make it work. I know. And it is 75 degrees and it is lovely. And my sister is just cursing me because I live here and she lives in Wisconsin. So I get it. But I know. We should now we should definitely end on that note. <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening to us today. We're a long, fun conversation. Casey, you're amazing. I hope you come back on the show and talk with yeah. us some more. You really make me think and you have a lot of really great opinions and your kid is so lucky. Yes. It was it was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And all right, thank you. Make sure to listen to us, Women Bridging the Gap. Find us online. Find us on social media. 
Facebook and Instagram. Facebook and Instagram. And maybe TikTok, but you guys haven't weighed in. We're waiting to hear, we're waiting to hear whether you would like us to be on TikTok. Len, you will do dances. Yes. And with that, I'm Goodbye. stopping the recording. <laughs>